If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Interfaith relationships, I think, have a lot of mystery around them. Like, you don't know what your wedding could look like. You don't know what raising kids could look like. This is Podvocative. Welcome back. We are on episode nine. We asked Mina what her favorite movie theater habits or food situation is. And so I thought it would be fun for us to also answer that. I am not like a huge moviegoer, but my main draw to movie theaters is movie theater nachos like you can't get those movie theater nachos literally anywhere else like sometimes you can get them in like stadiums and at games and stuff but movie theater nachos are so good and the cheese is so artificial like movie theater nachos have a really special place in my heart i've never heard such passion for nachos (laughs) or movie theater nachos to be specific so Love that. So I love the popcorn. All the butter, give it to me. I don't like the whole mixing the salty with sweet. So I don't I don't indulge in that trend. But I will say when I do go to the theater, I enjoy seeing what I can sneak in. So I have snuck in homemade guacamole and chips before just eating that in the theater. I have snuck in chipotle burrito before. But my favorite and my usual go to is I'll just get a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream and just bring two spoons or how many ever spoons and just eat a whole pint while watching the movies. So those are my habits. Wait, that's incredible. I've I've literally never snuck in anything that good. Yeah, I mean, it's half the fun, honestly, for me, at least. Yeah, so back to our episode, we do ask Mina this question. Stay tuned to hear her movie theater habits, which are very different from mine and Sheeple's. So, you know, moving into the episode, this one is really fun, I think, to listen to because I know Sheeple and I learned a lot. It's an experience that a lot of Ismailis probably tuning in can relate to um, with regards to interfaith um, and in this case, interracial marriage. And it's also just a fun listen for me because you can really hear in Mina's voice and in her story how special 
her connection to Mike is and I you'll hear me say this in the episode but I'm like not a romantic at all and like during recording I was like getting emotional I, I had like goosebumps when she was telling her story um just hearing how they kind of overcame some of the, the typical barriers that you would expect to exist and then some others yeah completely agree it's so evident in Mina's voice in the story she tells how her and Mike have such a special bond but beyond that I also love that Mina walks us through all the big life events that someone can go through and then where her marriage fit into that in the beginning she says there's so much mystery and uncertainty about interfaith and interracial marriage and that's exactly why we wanted to have this episode that's exactly why we wanted to talk to Mina is to deal mystify a lot of that and share her lived experiences and and what that looks like in reality. Um, And lastly, before we jump into the episode and and get to hear from Mina, I wanted to point out, I thought it was really cool that we got to hear Mina's thoughts on people's obsession and fetishization of McBabies. And I know I can admit that I've done this in the past. And Mina talks about why this is harmful. Cool. Well, we hope you all enjoy and we'll catch you on the other side. We can start off by just telling everyone who you are, what you do, where you're from. And then if you want to tell us your movie theater habits. So my name is Armina. Um, I currently live in Seattle, Washington, but I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. My movie theater habit. So my partner loves popcorn. We can't go to the movies without buying popcorn. Um, I wouldn't say that it's my cup of tea. Do I participate? Absolutely. But I think uh, there's one movie theater in Seattle that sells mixed popcorn. It has chocolate-covered popcorn and buttered popcorn in the same bag. That is my favorite. So I'm going to go with that. <laughs> Love that. So do you want to walk us through why you're here today and kind of tell us your love story and a little bit of background? So my partner, Mike, and I started dating um, two weeks before graduation. We met sometime in college um, and we had originally gone to my story semi-formal together. Um, and that was our first date. He was raised Catholic and identifies as white and a male. I obviously identify as a smiley and female and Pakistani, American, brown, South Asian. And so when we first went on our first date, it wasn't intended to be like a thing. Like it was like, okay, we're going on a date together to a sorority dance. It doesn't have to mean anything. And then that changed pretty quickly. I think we both realized that we were pretty into each other so much so that we both like jumped right into long distance pretty early in our relationship and decided to try to maintain um, connection with each other far away. And I went to grad school in Texas and he went to work in his full-time, his first full-time job in Delaware. We came back together in Boston um, and he started grad school and I took on my first full-time job out of my master's program. And I would say that that was a really big turning point in our relationship because we've been long distance for so long. It really meant a lot to be in the same city for once and like date again and like try to figure out what our relationship meant. We ended up moving to Seattle kind of together. We did a dual job search just like we did for Boston and both got jobs out here. We got engaged living in Seattle. So from a timeline perspective, we started dating in November 2011. We got engaged in summer of 2017. And I got married in winter of 2018. When you did start dating, was there any hesitation on your end at all about him not being a smiley? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Interfaith relationships, I think, have a lot of mystery around them. Like, you don't know what your wedding could look like. You don't know what raising kids could look like. So Mike is the first person I would say I was in a relationship with who wasn't um, a smiley or South Asian identified. And so that was a new experience for me as being in an interracial relationship. And I think visibly that impacted our relationship more. 
more than the religious aspect because I think there's a lot of cultural differences and I don't know if you all would feel aligned with the sentiment but I think sometimes it's hard to separate um, religion and culture you know growing up as an Ismaili it's so intertwined like what might be considered a South Asian Pakistani Indian tradition as opposed to what is actually Ismaili I would say that more of the differences and weariness came from an interracial place your relationship with the community now do you still feel attached and have you found that you now look for some of the values in your partner's faith as well i wouldn't say that being a smiley is something that i hold super salient to me i think in terms of like attending rec and like being super involved in jamaatkana you know in like my k-12 kind of period of life it was super super important to me as i got to college i would say religion kind of became something that ebbed and flowed for me quite a bit and I would say it still continues to be that way. But when it comes to Jamaatkana, I would say that my involvement and my attendance in Jamaatkana was impacted far before we started dating. So I probably go a handful of times a year, maybe, to services. Part of that is I used to work in a role where I was on call often. And so it was pretty limiting in terms of how far I could go, depending on if I was on duty or not. But then also transportation. Kane in Seattle is in Kirkland, Washington, which is about a 30 to 40 minute drive for me and I also write like if I wanted to go I would go and I would make the effort but I don't feel compelled to but I would say that the difference for me to your um, question Shupal is the community like the Ismaili community is very important to me like the amount of friends that I associate with in Seattle or otherwise are largely from like the Ismaili community right so people I grew up with people who live in Seattle who identify religiously the same way Jamaatkana isn't the only thing that holds us together in our relationship so I would say that every time I move to a new city getting in touch with Jamaatkana and like getting in touch with the Ismaili community is important to me, not as much practicing or regular attendance and services. I would say that Mike and I, if you asked him as well, he would probably say that we share a lot of the same values. And I think that's just because, right, like growing up in an environment, I wouldn't say his family is particularly religious, but like certainly he went to Catholic school, he went to the confirmation process, all of that. I think that you kind of internalize similar values when you're involved in a faith-based community. And, you know, you have families and experiences that inform how we are as our current generation and our families, right? And so that aligned really well from a Catholicism standpoint. Mike is more of like a non-practicing Catholic. So that's not something that is really important to him is going. I wouldn't say that that part of our relationship. So I know that the Ismaili community can be restrictive to what practices someone who's outside of the faith can join in on. How has that experience been like for you, figuring out what Mike can be included in, what he can participate in, etc.? Gosh, the amount of things I've learned about what he can and cannot do as a non-Ismaili partner. I can't Google... (laughs) Like, what can my interfaith partner, my non-Ismaili partner attend and not attend? And like, what does that actually look like? It's not readily available anywhere for me to access, right? So it's like a winding road. Like, I'll be driving along this relationship and all of a sudden hit a roadblock or all of a sudden the exit's closed. And how do I take a detour? Can you shed light on what some of those were? What were some surprising things? And then how did you find out those answers? What were like some good resources? I'm going to start by saying that I think that a lot of this varies by country and even region within the country. And maybe even as far as like the city or the state within the region. So I'll start off with my sister's wedding. So I'm the youngest of three. My sister got married in fall of 2014. Mike came down for the wedding. It was in Atlanta. 
And because my sister had a lot of non-smiley guests also attending her wedding, I knew it wasn't going to be an issue for Mike to be able to participate and attend. So that was wonderful. And of course, there was like a learning curve, like explaining some traditions to him, like about why shoes get stolen, like what this like holiday represents. He and I have those conversations fairly regularly, but you know, it's always nice to have another opportunity to kind of like come together, talk about it, better understand each other and that sort of thing. When we got engaged, well, I was never intending on having like an engagement party, like a meet and or anything like that. Like that was never part of the cards. But Mike did talk to my parents about us getting married and getting engaged in advance, you know, like just to make sure he got their blessing. So I think that he like did the thing that my parents really respected, right? And was like, okay, like he clearly cares. He's like seeking our support. And then um, my sister had a baby. His name is Caden. He's a gem. He just turned three last weekend. So, you know, we had like the Baya ceremony, right? Where he becomes a smiley. Um, that ceremony took place inside the prayer hall. And so Mike was in a allowed to attend. I would say like Diamond Jubilee was a big thing where I learned like for the opening ceremonies, first of all, Mike had every intention of attending and fully participating and doing what he was allowed to do. And then we learned that Diamond Jubilee opening ceremonies and the other events that took place the next year during Diamond Jubilee itself were kind of like how Kane is treated. There's like a partner's room you know, and you just kind of sit there either on your phone or watching whatever movie is playing and that sort of thing. And so then it was a conversation of like, okay, is it worth you taking a day off of work to go and be with me if you're just going to be sitting in a room the whole time, you know, and like, what sacrifice am I asking you to make, you know, like, can I go by myself? I need a lot of peer accountability in my life. Like I'm definitely someone who like will go probably to like bar class if I have someone to go with and like hold me accountable to attending. And so I like, there are some moments where yes, absolutely. I am like, man, I wish we could just go to Jamaicana together. Like I wish we could just strive together. And that's just not something that I, that I want him to have to do is to sit in a room, you know, for an hour or an hour and a half or whatever, while I tend to other things and then come back. Fast forward to our wedding. Um, when we were planning our wedding, right, like what kind of ceremony we would have became quite the conversation. And so we looked into like, if we did have a nikkah ceremony, what would that look like? If we're going to have a nikkah ceremony, we're definitely also going to do a Catholic ceremony. We're not going to pick one or the other. Or let's just do like an interfaith ceremony. Ultimately, there's some things about the Nikkah ceremony that like I think many people don't love. Like there's a there's a paragraph in the Nikkah contract about a dollar amount. Like if you were to be separated after going through um, the council and arbitration and mediation through Jamathkana, like what the dollar amount is that your spouse would be given if the relationship were to end. I don't know how many people take that field seriously. Most of my friends have put like a joking $5. The other piece was, does it have to be inside the prayer hall? Can it be outside? We ended up not having a religious ceremony at all. Well, we had our like interfaith ceremony. We wrote it. Um, we embedded verses from the Quran and the Bible throughout it. We had our own officiant who's a friend. So Friday, we had a main thing at my parents' house. Saturday, we had a 50 ceremony. Because to me, like that was important, was including culture. Um, and then for our wedding ceremony, we had a koba kobi at the end of our wedding ceremony before we walked back down the aisle together. So trying to kind of incorporate or weave in parts that we wanted to have. Like I did the white dress thing, you know, that whole shebang. So we had our wedding. Um, fast forward to last year, my dad passed away. Um, which was pretty hard. Like the last thing I wanted to do in that moment was like figure out what Mike could and couldn't do at my dad's funeral. You know, like it just was the silliest thing to have to think about <laughs> um, in that moment. So 
he luckily was able to participate pretty fully. He couldn't come to the law, obviously, and couldn't come to stuff inside the prayer hall. But in every aspect of the funeral, at the funeral home itself, he was able to, to be there and help carry the casket and, and go to the grounds and all of that. And then I think about like, if and when we do have kids and what that'll look like, you know, like, do we want them to be a smiley? Do we want them to go into the bio ceremony for themselves? I don't know the answer to that question right now. But I do know that a piece of the bio ceremony is for in a heterosexual relationship is for the female person to also have another bio ceremony. So like by you having a baby come out of your body, you kind of lose your um, Ismaili identity from like a Jamathi standpoint. And so when your child goes to the bio ceremony, you as the mother also go through the bio ceremony again. And so I've also thought about like, well, if that happens and we choose, if we do have a kid and we choose not to have our child go through a bio ceremony, am I going to go through another one? Is that something that is, is meaningful to me and do I care enough about? So that's like another consideration, I think, on the table. I'm really sorry about your dad and hearing that, you know, you had to worry about things like what your husband could partake in during your dad's funeral. That's really tough. In terms of when you actually looped your parents into this part of your life and when you told them about Mike and when it was starting to get serious, what was that like? When did you decide to tell them? What were their reactions? How did that go? My mom knew about our first date. She knew pretty early that I went on a date with Mike. I waited to tell my dad for a little over a year um, before I clued him into what was going on with our relationship, largely because I hadn't told my dad about any relationship I'd ever been in. And if I was going to like cause stress, I wanted to make sure it was uh, going to be a worthwhile commitment. My mom at the beginning was basically like, you know, because we only been on one date when I told her and she was like, okay, you're telling me so clearly you like him. And I was like, yes. And she was like, okay, what is he like? And I like, you know, it was like, oh, he's an aerospace engineering major. He's white. He's from Marietta, Georgia. <laughs> you know, like the basic rundown of like what you would do at, in your first day of class. And then she was like, okay, well, like, keep, like, she was like, keep me posted. <laughs> she was like, very, it was very not what I expected. I was like, ready, you know? And then she was like, okay, let me know. For my dad, the very first thing he said was the cultures don't fit. And I and I was like, well, what do you mean? And he was like, it's just not going to work out. And I was like, okay, well, I'm telling, you know, like I'm telling you now because it's been a year. And so, and I actually don't remember if I told him how long we were dating. I think I also tried to like hide that because I didn't want him to know that I'd been lying to him for so long. And I wouldn't say that my dad and I have a, um, had a um, relationship where we talked about emotions a ton. Um, like it was, it was very like masculine relationship with his daughter. You know what I mean? So we didn't always go into detail about things, but he knew. And I was just happy that he knew. I told him over Christmas break, winter break, my first year in grad school. And I told him the day before my flight back to Texas. And so it was like, okay, well, here's the news. And now I'm leaving tomorrow. And then he just never asked about it. And then when my sister got married, Mike came down to the wedding, stayed at the house and was really, really helpful that whole week. And I think my dad like actually spent time with him and realized like, oh, this guy is like really nice. He like cares about our family. I can tell that he cares about Armina and her sister. And, um, you know, it was like helping drape weird things on the walls and run out for food errands, you know, like just do all that. And so I think that was really meaningful. And then he had a heart attack the day after my sister's wedding. So we all flew back from Boston, like immediately back to Atlanta with Mike, my parent, my mom owns a gas station in uh, a suburb in Georgia. And he, um, 
you know, like went to the store, like helped her clothes, helped like do inventory, like did like did all these things. Um, his love language is also acts of service. And so I think that that really turned my dad around pretty quickly to the relationship. So my mom, my brother and Mike and I went out to go get pizza together one night. And that was the first time they spent time together. And I would say that like, I knew that I was really, really into him when I saw him, when I saw how well he treated my mom and brother at dinner. My mom immigrated to the States, right? And so um, English is not her first language. And like to see how like patient and caring and like willing he was to be in conversation with her. It was just really kind and thoughtful. That's so sweet. That makes my heart melt. So you said your father said initially that cultures might not fit. But then later when he met Mike, he came around and really saw the person he was. I feel like that's a common objection yeah. Without knowing the person, what was your initial take on that? And what advice would you give to someone who is having that issue? Like cultures won't fit. I mean, I think the initial comment, I understood it, but in a really limited brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Like, I get that, like, if you haven't seen a relationship be successful between two people from different backgrounds, then I can see why you would think that, right? So I wonder a lot, and I can never ask him this now, in his journey immigrating from Pakistan to Chicago, was he really taken advantage of by other white people? You know what I mean? Like, racism is a thing, right? And so, like, did he associate Mike as a white male with, as a white person, with other white individuals that he had negative experiences with in his transition to the U.S.? And, like, I'll never know. Um, I would imagine that, like, the answer is probably yes in some way, shape, or form. How pervasive or how frequent, I'm not sure. But I think that's a safe assumption. And then I wonder how much of it was just, like, it's the first person I've dated that I've told you about. And so is there also a level of, like, protection? Let me find something to be critical of because I don't want you getting hurt. I think my advice would be is that hiding it from my dad for so long was really painful And I don't think I realized how painful it was until I told him. And I don't think I even registered how painful it was for Mike to feel like he was being hidden from my family until much later. And so I think my advice would be is to not do that. Like, I, like in some way, like because we were traveling and long distance and all of that, I am glad that I waited till I knew that it was like a meaningful relationship that I saw having a future. Did I see it having a future earlier? Probably. Like, could I have told him earlier? 
probably, but I'm not entirely sure. That was a lot of pain and stress I think I could have avoided and handled earlier. Did Mike tell his parents as immediately as you did tell your mother? Were you involved in his family events, etc.? You know, but I do specifically remember, like we were texting and it was, I think Thanksgiving. So like a week and a half, two weeks after our first date. And we've been on a couple of dates in that amount of time. And he was like, I told my mom about you. And I was like, what did you say? You know, and he was like, that you're Pakistani, that we met at school, you know, like he had this list of things. And I remember being kind of, I don't know, surprised is the right word, but just like that he like upfront was like, it's someone who's not white. Because in some ways, I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, hopefully when she sees my name, she kind of has an understanding that there's a pretty good likelihood that I'm not. And also when I walk into your house for to meet your parents for dinner for the first time, I don't want that to be when they realize it. Um, but then also, right, like this like notion of colorblindness, I think, and like kind of acknowledging like right away, I think that like that that's not a thing that you can be. And so I appreciate that he told his mom like pretty upfront that I was a different religion, culture, race. Although I get why some people might not be comfortable with that, but I was really happy that he was upfront with his mom about it. Um, and I don't, I think I'm assuming his mom probably told his dad because that sounds like something that would happen. And then I met his little brother the first time I went over to the house for dinner, which was like January or February, I think, so a couple months in. When you were with his family, did were you ever made to feel that you were a different culture? I think that Mike's family is incredibly welcoming. And I would say that they love me unconditionally and wholeheartedly. Does the occasional microaggression occur? Absolutely. Do they realize it when it's happening? Not always. And so I would say that in terms of like love and well-intention and care, like, yes, I would say that Mike's family extended and immediate care for me. And I would say care for my mom and care for my sister. So like in terms of like, there's not just care for Mike and care for me. I would say that the care is extended to our in-laws as well, which I really find quite valuable. You know, like after my dad passed away, Mike's parents hopped in the car and started driving to Atlanta immediately. So yeah, I do feel a lot of love and I feel welcomed, but um, does the occasional slip up happen? Yeah, sure. I feel like I'm getting emotional hearing your story because I can like hear from what you're saying, like just how genuine and real it is. And I'm enjoying this a lot. Like I feel like I'm getting emotional just hearing you talk about it. I Uh, love my partner quite a lot. It's probably the healthiest relationship I've ever been in if I'm being totally real with you. And I've been in some unhealthy relationships for sure. Yeah. No, I'm, like, not a romantic, and I'm, like, getting too angry about it. Have you ever received judgment from people when Mike does attend events? And does this vary from city to city or state to state that you have lived in? Sometimes I'm not always paying attention, right? And I think sometimes I don't want to pay attention. I would say in Boston, no, because I think Boston was a pretty young in general place to be in, from a Jamaatli lens. And I would say, in I don't know if it's true about the whole West Coast, because I don't think I'm that familiar with California. I just feel like there's a lot more multiracial people and interracial relationships in the Northwest. I don't think we've been to enough things in Georgia to know. Do I think about that all the time? Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, how do I make sure he's comfortable when we get somewhere? Like, how do I make sure he knows? Like, when we go to Seattle, Monka, like, that's where the bathroom is. Like, that's where the partner's room is. Like, make sure you take off your shoes. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> were there things that you had to explain to him when he started participating in these things? And were there things that, you know, were hard to understand? Because I know a lot of our, there are a lot of nuances, I guess, to the Ismaili community and even to the South Asian community, right? And some mm-hmm. of the things I'm sure I haven't even thought about unless I guess I would have to explain them to somebody who's never been a part of it. I think that particularly for me as someone who is like a South Asian female in a relationship with a white man, 
male, there is a lot of rhetoric in the world around like colonization of your body by a white person, particularly a white man. And, like, how do you like reconcile that? I think is is something that no one is ever really going to be able to do. But right, like if you were to ask me right now, like, do I have a type? I think the answer would be no. And I think it's incredibly problematic when people say they have types. You know, like when people rank their racial preferences on dating apps. I'm like, like, what is informing that for you? And how did we get there? And I think that that is different, right, than if I was in a relationship with someone who identified as black or multiracial or Latinx or indigenous or, you know, like you name it, um, or like Eastern Asian or Filipino, right? Like that is all different. So I think particularly for me, being a relationship with a white individual, I think Mike is very cognizant of how he shows up. And sometimes I do think it feels like a white person entering a brown space. And like, does he, is he invited to that space? Should he be in that space? Um, and I think if he's going and I've invited him, then like, yes, I've asked him to be there. And yes, I want him there, right? Especially if it's a celebration like Gandhi or something like that. But are there moments where I think that maybe he doesn't feel welcome or invited? Sure. I think that the stairs pass. I think one thing about people love it or hate it is that they're not always confrontational. So even if they had a question about why he was there, would they actually go ask him? Like, I don't know. I do remember an instance where I was in Jamaat Khanna and a family member of mine had been asked to recite Dua to prove that they were smiley, that they should be there. Um, and it was someone who looked brown. I don't know how people decide who they should approach and who to ask about things. But and I wonder, like, is reciting Dua like us being a little classist also? Like, how do I how do I have the right to expect you to know how to recite Dua and pronounce all the Arabic words properly and, you know, fulfill this expectation I have based in some reality on you? So yeah, I think most times he feels comfortable. I would also say that he's pretty tunnel vision. Sometimes I'll like name it. I'll be like, I feel like someone's looking at it. Like in Texas a lot, I felt like people were looking at us because we were holding hands and obviously he's white and I'm not. He would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't see. So I think that's also just like another layer is that he's just not as spatially aware, I think, as I am. Like I'm always panning. I'm always tracking people. What are some questions or comments you're like tired of getting or that can be offensive that people don't realize? I will caveat this with saying that like I am someone who like my biggest pet peeve in the world is when I get unsolicited advice from people like I didn't ask you for your opinion. I don't care (laughs) about your perspective. Like if I wanted to know, I would ask you. And I just feel like maybe that's because I'm a more direct communicator. But for the people who ask questions, are you asking me because you selfishly want to know? Are you asking me because you genuinely care and want to get to know me better? In terms of topics or content, it's like, is Mike converting? What are you all going to do about your children? Like those questions got pretty tiring. What like what is your nika like? What's your nika ceremony going to look like? And I was like, well, you're making an assumption that one we're going to have one, and two, like you're making an assumption that I'm going to have kids. Like my ability to be fertile and have a child is something I don't know is like something I can rely on. You know, like I have polycystic ovarian syndrome, and fertility is one of those things that's really up in the air for people who have PCOS. And so I also hate that question. Do you ever get comments around, oh, you and Mike's children are going to be so beautiful, like, oh, mixed babies are so cute, etc. Can you touch on the fetishization of mixed babies and what that experience has been like for you? I think there's a fetishization of like Asian identified people, specifically Asian women. I think a lot about like when people say that you're exotic, when they feel like they are really into your skin tone. I've been told that I deserve to be raped before because of the color of my skin, which like still sits with me. I don't know why that one comment sits with me so much, but it really burned because I'm like, because I was beautiful, right? Like, and that is so problematic. 
Um, and I think um, whenever I hear people say that they have like a type, right? Like, like I'm re- like, I really find Asian women attractive or like, I'm not really attracted to Asian men or whatever. I'm like, that's racism. Like that is ingrained in you that you have some weird idea of what beauty is and should be. So I think when it comes to raising children, right? Like I think you have to hold a couple of things, right? So like one person messaged me and there's someone who's in an interracial relationship as well. And it's like, I don't actually feel that way because I feel like if they're commenting on how beautiful my children will be, it's because they're accepting the interracial relationships and I should applaud that. And I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely a valid point. Do they ask the same, do they make the same statement or ask the same question to someone who is in the same same race relationship? Like if it was two white people, we say like, oh my God, your kids are going to be so beautiful. Or like, I really hope that your kids have your dark hair and his light eyes or what, you know, whatever. It's like, like, how are you picking and choosing what qualities of my body as an Asian woman are my m- most beautiful qualities, right? Is it like the thick, luscious hair, the, the like <laughs> thick eyebrows, which equally sucks when it comes to other parts of facial hair, right? Like multiracial, biracial children and beings. I shouldn't just say that's kind of ages. It's not just the children, right? Like because they can be told they're exotic or interesting looking or then, right, like then the question of like, where are you from becomes uh, like maybe more acceptable, like who are your parents like where are you really from like that uh, still stings I think even if you don't identify as like an immigrant or as a child of immigrants or your ancestry leads that way um because it's this notion and this assumption that you don't belong in America or like that you don't belong in this country or that you don't fit the bill of what I think someone should look like who lives near me which is wrapped up in a lot of problematic things and I think for children specifically I think about right like children of darker skin and how do they feel when they are watching TV looking through magazines and don't see anyone that looks like them and like what then beauty becomes for them right and so I think it's both right like yes my children are going to be beautiful but that's because they're going to be awesome and we're going to love them and we're going to remind them that they're beautiful every day because that's what they deserve to hear but how do you tell them they're beautiful because everyone should be affirmed that they that they have value and that they're beautiful and that they're worthwhile um regardless of their identity while also not while also not being like microaggressive right and so I think that that is a hard thing to hold for my child right like depending on how they identify to the world like what their skin color looks like or how they appear you know they might be white passing and like I'm gonna need to figure out how to parent them as a as a person of color because they might empathize more with Mike's lived experiences than my own and vice versa if they turn out to be darker skinned then they might I might empathize them better than Mike ever could and then like how do you instill culture history how do you celebrate like like food and events and music and other things in a way that lets them feel like they're in touch with their culture and not just absorbing like the next terrorist in a television show who looks brown and that's the only thing that they notice or internalize besides you know you talked about like not understanding where he could fit in and you know what he could attend in terms of jamati events what are yes. some other hurdles that the two of you had to overcome i will just say like mike converting was never a conversation like that was an immediate like not gonna happen and I would never ask I get exhausted emailing whomever like Mookie whatever principal person you name it to say like is this event open to interfaith family members and then clarifying do we have to be married through like a Nika ceremony for him to attend and that's just exhausting um and it's another barrier I think but like I mean he has come to like Gandia he's come to Pane and sat in the partner's room occasionally I wouldn't say that's a frequent thing and then again I don't even go frequently anyway but yeah I just I wish that that existed somewhere we've been a pretty transient couple right like lived in Georgia 
Texas, Delaware, Boston, DC, Seattle. And I, and I grew up in Chicago too. And I'm just like, why is it different for every city? It's just exhausting. I wish I could Google a spreadsheet or like a PDF file or like a fun infographic that tells me what is permitted and what is not permitted. I'll even make an infographic on Canva or something if I can't, like, I don't even know. So I just wish that in general, like inclusive language when we were marketing our events and putting things out there was something that we could accomplish. I mean, that goes further as to like not using boys and girls or men and women or brothers and sisters too, right? Like that's far beyond just relationship status. So I guess to sort of wrap it up, is there anything that we didn't ask you that we should have? Um, Is there anything that you would want people listening to know? Just kind of want to open the floor up. I would advise literally anyone to sit down and think about like in and also in their friendships like not even intimate relationships but like what values do I want my partner or partners to have what are like my non-negotiables what are my like heck no's what are my like wobblers like what are things I'm willing to deal with for a while because I think it's important to reflect on like what you need and what you're looking for so that you can like set up your relationship for success and I think in terms of um, religion like that could be a non-negotiable for some people that could be something that they're willing to waver on and that's a personal choice right and so I would I would say like to try to eliminate the like noise around you as best as you can to really think about what your heart wants and what feels good for your your gut I can't stress enough how much I've enjoyed this conversation today I just feel like I a different more understanding even person than I was like an hour ago so thank you So we have one more piece of this. So it's called Rapid Fire. We are going to give you 90 seconds to answer 12 questions. What's your favorite form of potato? Oh, mashed for sure. Favorite holiday? Uh, Nefros. What's something you should do but probably won't get around to? Learn how to swim. (laughs) (laughs) What is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Currently, Meet the Moon in Seattle. Their cast iron skillet cookie is my favorite thing on the dessert menu. If you were an inanimate object, what would you be? A spork. A window or aisle? Oh, that's a hard one. I go back and forth. It depends on how long the flight is. If it's a really long flight and I might need to go to the bathroom aisle if it's a short flight window. If you were famous, what would you be famous for? I have like problems with fame and like celebrity dumb. I don't even know the word in general. I don't know if anyone needs to put up on a pedestal, but um, I don't know. I guess my honesty. Um, <laughs> if you could raid one person's closet, whose would it be? Probably the cast of the bold type, the three main wait that's my favorite show and one of the dresses one of the dresses that jane wears i own like i literally wore it one week and then the next week i watched the episode and she's wearing the same dress you should definitely fly back to new york when they're filming wear the dress and try to run into (laughs) i I really should um at what age did you learn the most about yourself probably 23 okay we are at time so we hit time did i get 12 questions no you got got most of them uh, eight 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 or nine yeah. You know what the other Nine, four? Yeah. Are? I yeah, can ask you the next three. Continue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what TV sitcom family would you be a member of? Okay, I watch really dramatic television shows, but I think it, it takes my mind away from reality. I'm watching Dynasty right now, and it, it's just batshit crazy. So I don't want to be part of that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even have to be a sitcom. The most recent sitcom I've watched is Never Have I Ever. I feel like I want to be friends with her cousin. <laughs> 
what compliment do you like receiving the most? Oh, that I have a nice smile or that I give good hugs. We can't do hugs right now in COVID. So yeah, that's true. You can smile still. <laughs> um, what is the last book you read? Oh, um, the Crazy Rich Asians trilogy. That mm-hmm. Did you enjoy it? Would you recommend? Oh, yes, I would definitely recommend it. I would also recommend that to all the boys I've loved before trilogy, the books are way better than the movies, Ooh. although I do like the movie. But yeah, thank you so much for being with us for enlightening us. This was such a illuminating conversation. We had a blast. Um, yeah, thank you. Welcome back. We hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. If you personally have a story that you would like to bring to the forefront or you know someone, we'll be posting on our Instagram over the next week, basically an open open floor for topics that we may not have covered yet and you would love to see covered or people that you think would be great on this podcast. We would love to hear from you. And before we wrap up, we'd love to give you a little sneak peek of what you can expect for episode 10. Yes. So in part two of our interfaith series, um, episode 10 is going to focus on a family who raised their children with two different religious identities in the same household and how those children identify with both religions. So our guest is kind of a dual faith woman. She grew up practicing Ismailism and then also Hinduism. She practices both religions with regularity, and she talks to us about how they grew up, her and her brother, in this interfaith household, practicing two religions. So it's a really good story, and it's one that we really enjoyed hearing ourselves, so we hope you will too. And we will catch y'all next week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.